Welcome to the podcast of Christ Covenant Church, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America, located in the township of Langley, British Columbia. My name is Gary Vanderveen, and I am the senior pastor here. If you would like to know more about our congregation, please visit us online at www.langleychurch.org. Good morning. I appreciate the opportunity to come with the Word of God this morning. Beloved in the Lord, one of the matters that dominates the discussion of Christians today is how to obey God's call to be a salt and a light. What does it mean? How do we have an effect on the world around us? We think rightly that it shouldn't matter. It should matter to our area whether our local church is here or not. We can take two attitudes in which we lose our effect on the world. And I'm borrowing these names for these two attitudes by a book, uh, from a book by Dick Keyes called Chameleon Christianity. And the first one is Chameleon Christianity. You know how a chameleon changes his color to match his surroundings? Well, Christians can adapt to the culture so that they never actually confront the culture with the claims and the lordship of Christ. They lose the holiness, the separateness of being in Christ, of holding to the gospel. You can do this as a church, of course, but you can also do this as an individual, changing, presenting one sort of person at church and another at your workplace. The other mistake is what we might call musk-ox Christianity. We can call it that because musk-oxen, when they are threatened by a predator, they'll gather in a circle, head in, back out, to ignore or block off any contact with the predator. The musk-ox Christian refuses to ever engage with the world outside and only ever finds strength in the community of musk-oxen. Both misrepresent the the church as it is revealed in the word of God, where Christ says, I send you out as sheep. says to his apostles, I send you out as sheep, among wolves. So we're sheep, we're different, and we're among wolves. Out there, God is, God is the sheep's strength as they stand against a predatory world. You see, both chameleon and muskox Christianity undermine the identity that God has given to the Christian, that of being a salt and a light. The call to be a salt and a light reveal that God expects to use the church to change the world, to bring saltiness, to bring flavor, to bring light to the world. This is not something we add to ourselves. That can in fact be a a problem about how many can think about evangelism today. We add it on to the Christian life. Well, Jesus' words here is that it should naturally come out of being a Christian. We are salty. We are 
bright because we, first of all, have been made to be a salt and a light. And so I bring you the word of the Lord under the theme, you are the people of God. You are salt, you are light. And so, be salty and be bright. After Jesus gives us something of the character of those who can expect the happiness of God, think of the Beatitudes, blessed are those who who mourn and so on, he continues by emphasizing what the identity of the people of God is in the world through the images of salt and light. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Why does he use the image of salt? Many people will guess that this has to do with the preservative nature of salt. God's people preserve the world around them. God says to Abraham, if there's 10 people within the city of Sodom, I'm going to spare it. The righteousness of God's people can keep people from God's wrath on the nation. We will see that this aspect can certainly be brought out. There's certainly a truth to it, but that's actually not the primary point of Jesus here. Certainly, the righteous lifestyle of those who follow God helps preserve culture, but that's not what's being emphasized in our text. It's, it's rather that we continue to be flavorful. God's point here is not that we preserve, but that we give taste to the world around us, that, and that is done primarily through holiness. It's our flavor that makes us useful to God. Why is the flavor emphasized? Salt has to do with sacrifices, particularly the grain offering. God commands his people in Leviticus, you shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from the grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. The last line suggests that this may even go beyond just the grain offerings, and salt was to be in every offering. So why the salt? This is ultimately food for the Lord to be burned up before the Lord so that he may consume it. This is a picture of God taking us into his life or participating in the life of God. Israel was to be a place of bread for God and the earth's sake. Even even between people, the emphasis is on food going down well. Paul says in Colossians, let your speech be seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer each person. So it's not only about our relationship to God in in the Colossians passage. This is a call to season our speech with the love of God for one another. That holiness, that love, that gentleness we're called to have in Jesus Christ makes our rebukes our encouragement, our working together as a people of God go down well, just like salt 
helps your food go down well. So how is Israel to remain tasty? Through her commitment to God's covenant, through her commitment to God. We have a similar passage in the book of Revelation that can help us understand. From John's words to the church in Laodicea in I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot, would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. There's a lack of zeal here for the kingdom of God, and that lack of zeal is a lack of love for the kingdom of God. There's a lack of zeal for righteousness and the fruit of Laodicea. They are apathetic Christians failing to work on building up God's kingdom, failing to have an effect on the world around them. Just as the Jews of Jesus' day were having little or no effect on the Roman culture around them. Our good works, our holiness, ought to have an effect Salt is useful when it's rubbed into the meat. In the same way, we need to be in the world. As Paul says when warning Christians not to associate with a disobedient Christian, he also adds, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of this world. He wants Christians to associate with these people because they are the salt and the light of God. That's the point, that, that is the point. We are put in the world to make it taste good for God, ultimately to transform it. That means we need to be serious, intentional about those good works that God has foreordained us to walk in. Christians today will often say we need to be in the world, not of the world. And I actually want to reverse that a moment for a, before I continue. Uh, in John 17, uh, Jesus says that when he takes you and makes you his, you are no longer of the world, you are a citizen of heaven. First of all, you're not of the world. You're taken out of the world. In Colossians, you die to this world and you're raised in Christ and being raised in Christ as a citizen of heaven that's how you go into the world so it's not we need to be in the world not of the world it's you are not of the world now be in the world an important point behind this is as we think of how we are to act in this, we do this in dependence upon God. God is in control of everything. We must be very careful of the idea that our actions can somehow move history. Rather, God uses us, directs us through his spirit, and gives us openings so that we are in the right spot at the right time. We are not, in a, in, at least in a fundamental sense, the movers of history. God's the mover of history. We are acted upon more than we act upon others. Our job is to continually to be prepared to give an answer according to the gifts that God has given us. So the point of being salty then is to be full of good works. 
the immediate context of Matthew 5 gives us plenty of good examples of what those good works might be. First, we have the attitudes commended in the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. To be poor in spirit, to recognize that one is in spiritual poverty on one's own, and to recognize that it is God that gives riches. To mourn. To recognize in Jesus' context how, our, how far Israel has fallen and to look for God to restore Israel. In our context, to mourn how far our nation has fallen from Jesus' righteousness and to recognize that much of this blame belongs to a church that failed to be salty. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We want and desire to see the true righteousness of God to increase. And we could go on. To be salty is to bear in ourselves the meekness and gentleness of Jesus and at the same time to obey him in everything we do to the point where we are willing to be persecuted for the sake of righteousness. As we continue to read the Sermon on the Mount, we see more about what it means to be salty. We must get to the heart of the problem in murderous, greedy, and lust-filled hearts. We're called to reject not only the consequences of those feelings, but also those feelings themselves. To mortify those sins as well. In short, says Jesus, you are to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. Being salty is about perfect obedience. Wow, we say. And we know we're miles away from that. But that points us all the more to Jesus. We want to be restored. We want that holiness. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We recognize that we are not rich. We are naked and hungry and thirsty. And we need to be in Christ. We need the life of Christ to be the salt we are called to be. We are salt in him and so we are to be salty. Mark puts it this way, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Meaning that one of the most important results of this saltiness is that peace of God that should exist in the congregation of God. That peace of God that we are called to have among ourselves. As the Holy Spirit is working through love to bring every joint and bone of the church together into one body of Jesus Christ. That brings us to our second point. We're also called to be bright. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. This is a reality of what the Christian is or what Christians are. We are a city set on a hill, even if we might not be on a literal hill. Jesus is saying, God made you a light. Why are you trying to hide it? 
Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in his, is in heaven. There's a sense in which this should happen naturally. We have Christ in us. And we go out into the world and people see that and respond accordingly. We have Christ in us and we're ready to give a defense for the faith that is in us as 1 Peter 3 says. It's as natural as water coming out of a fountain or an apple tree bearing apples. But there are so many temptations to protect ourselves out of fear. We're tempted to hide our light. There was a group at the time of Christ called the Essenes. They had hidden themselves in the desert because they believed that the rest of Judea was so corrupt. While they're never mentioned in the Gospels, they, there may have been people among the hearers who had this in mind, people hiding their light under a basket. They may, may well have been admired among the rest of the people in Judea for their holiness, but Jesus ultimately says there is no true holiness in this attitude because they fail to fulfill their calling to be a light in the world. So we need to let our light shine. If we are serving God and hungry and thirst hung, and hungering and thirsting after his righteousness we also need to demonstrate that love of God before the world it isn't about being flashy that's an important point later in the sermon on the mount uh, Jesus warns about being flashy especially in our acts of worship such as prayer fasting and giving we can take so much pride in those things being a light is about serving God wherever we are. Like Daniel, we continue to serve God in exactly the same way, even when the king forbids it. Remember the story of Daniel? The king says, nobody may worship any God except for me for three days. Daniel doesn't hide in his closet to worship his own God. He goes to the window where people can see him from the street to worship God, knowing that he may well incur the wrath of the king. The heart of all this is love, the willingness to demonstrate the love of God to everyone. And God is the one who gives the opportunities. It's foolish. Sometimes people, sometimes people try to make the opportunities for themselves, we trust that God gives the opportunities. We're looking for those opportunities. You're a city set on a hill. God sets us in different places for his own reasons. He puts you today in Langley for a reason. And the question for the Christian is not, how can I get away from my circumstances, but how can I use my circumstances for the kingdom of God? And even in improving your circumstances, do you lessen your ability to impact the world around you or strengthen your ability to impact the world around you? Are you thinking, how do I let my light shine? 
Jesus, uh, Jesus near the end of the Sermon Mountain puts this at the center. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's at the heart of what we're talking about here. This isn't simply a matter of receiving the applause of the world. Sometimes Christians can treat it like that. We're letting our light shine when we receive the applause of the world. Our service to God can be the smell of hope and salvation to those being saved. But we're also told that it's the stench of death. Holiness is the stench of death to those who are perishing. And both move forward the kingdom of God. When a man or woman sees our good works and comes to Christ, the kingdom grows. When the wicked respond to our good works by attacking and demeaning the church, they draw attention to the church by that, and the kingdom grows. That doesn't mean we want the attacks of the wicked. We're not masochists, but we see the hand of God in all that he does. And, and I put this simply, but I don't want to take away the, some of the complexity of these things. We make decisions in our lives to move, to buy a house, to take a new job, and we weigh the pros and the cons. We trust that the Lord is leading. The important thing is not that we all have the same answers to the question about letting our light shine. Some Christians are going are gonna to view that a little differently from one another. The important thing is not that we have all the same answers, but that we take the question seriously. How are you letting your light shine? I trust that God leads various Christians to live out this calling in various ways. I don't think, for example, I would ever be a great street preacher, but I love those who desire to go out and preach on the streets. God is in charge, not me. However, we can see how important it is to God as it is such an important theme in the scriptures. He wants the world to see his church. Christians do find different ways to rationalize hiding their light and we ought to avoid those. Sometimes it's hard to tell what rationalization is and what is not. We can avoid the world out of fear of corruption. Certain places and people are corrupting, and we ought to avoid them. But we need to remember that God will make all those who receive his living water sources of living water. All of those who receive and participate in the light of God are also lights in this generation. He promises that we can overcome through practicing what is good. The Christian is called to work through those realities perhaps with wisdom to regarding her, his or her strength according to the grace given to them. One of the big things today is, is to call Christians, there's almost a call to avoid, for, for Christians to avoid politics. While we do not want to be attached to a political party as the church, Individuals, of course, may be attached to a party. And we definitely don't want to get involved in the coercive nature of politics. The claims of Christ are inescapably political. And so there will always be a political dimension to the church. 
The call to remain apolitical cannot be an excuse for hiding our light. Finally, we also can hide behind the Canadian government's legal framework for the church. While finding legal protection is good, we cannot excuse hiding our light on keeping those legal protections. God gives us the example of the apostles here. We ultimately serve God, not men. Again, these are not simple matters. I I say that because I want you to be sober-minded and thoughtful about these things. These take wisdom and discernment, and we find that in the Word. We look to Jesus. We look to the wisdom of the Scriptures. Standing in the grace with which he bought us, we continue to crucify ungodly fear, and we can trust through the Word and the Spirit. We'll find out what, we'll understand what that ungodly fear is and then seek to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect we follow the example of Jesus walking in his footsteps for he is the great example of how to be a salt and a light and we do this not through our flesh but through the Holy Spirit the most important principle here as it is often, is behind all our, all our ethical thinking. The most important principle here is that we work out of love. Love for God's people, love for the world, and not out of fear. It is that love that moves us through Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit that allows us to shine brightly. We see this so beautifully in the book of Philippians. Paul says to the Philippians, do all things without grumbling or disputing. In other words, work together for the sake of the kingdom. And the result is that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So you're grounded in the church, in the body of Christ. You go out into the world and there you may be a light. Remember the muskox and the chameleon at the beginning? With this sort of attitude, we can find strength in the community of Christ like the muskox. But instead of hiding in that community, we can use that strength, that life, that salt, that living water, that light that comes from Christ and go out into the world each week not hiding our nature but standing on the firm ground of God's grace. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray for a moment. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you have given us this high calling of being a salt and a light before you. We thank you that we may find all the strength we need. You command and you give what we need, you give us what we need in order to obey your commands. And Lord, we pray that you may strengthen us in living out uh, this and that you may ever more put in our hearts an ever greater desire for your righteousness to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. Amen.